Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. All right, here we are on Fate's Wide Wheel. This week we will be discussing Star-Crossed, which was written by Deborah Pratt and directed by Mark Sobel. Its first broadcast date was Friday, March 31st, 1989. The leap date is June 15th, 1972, and Sam has leapt into college professor by the name of... Dr. Gerald Bryant. Thank you very much, yeah. Dennis. What's the TV Guide description, by the, the way? The TV Guide description reads, As a professor, Sam meets a young woman who will break his heart in the future unless he can alter it. All right. Yeah, here we go. So there we are. Yeah. So I call this episode, Sam Beckett is the creepiest mayor of Creeptown <laughs> who ever crept. And I'm talking about both the person he leaps into and himself. But... <laughs> But we'll get into that. You know, that, that, that has a little bit of merit. I, I won't deny it as much as I like to hear or worship our, our Dr. Beckett. I, uh, I, I, I guess we talked about this during our, our preview episode. Like, this is one I hadn't, like, really gone back and critically watched in, well, in, in some time. And then, like, rewatching it for this, I was like, ah, oh, he, he does some problematic things yeah. in, this, in this episode. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's weird because the episode has, uh, I've got fond memories of it, and it definitely has a special place in my heart, but it, yeah, watching it again was, was a little weird. Um, perhaps we should mention, by the way, that once again we are joined by our special guest, uh, my wonderful wife, Jessica Conger. She is here uh, with us at Project Quantum Leap and has seen the episode for the very first time, as she had never seen Quantum Leap up until about a week ago. Uh, so, Jessica... Do you have any opening comments about the episode? Uh, I, I was okay with this episode. I, I know we were trying to stick to um, episodes in order, but we watched a few other going past, which I did not like at all. <laughs> so this one, um, this one ranked higher than those. So this one didn't bother me that much. Yeah, yeah. he was a bit creepy at times. And the... When he looked into the mirror and saw himself, I felt like they chose well with the actor. <laughs> it was, it For was sure. Nice. Um, and that yeah. actor's name, by the way, uh, what? Who is that? Um, I should pull up IMDb here on Ziggy. For sure. See what, <laughs> For sure. See what she says. Yeah. He I, says. He. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. So as uh, so as we're pulling that up, so we start in the first scene. Uh, Sam he leaps in. He is in a classroom. He's standing in front of a chalkboard, uh, which has the word obsession written on it, and he spins around, and there's a, a classroom of adoring college women, college students. Yeah. Uh, has a pipe in his mouth, which promptly falls out of his mouth as. Uh, as he turns around in shock, and then we get into the events of the episode, and every yeah, every single woman in that scene is just like having sex with him with their eyes. They are smitten. It's it's reminiscent of uh, of you know Indiana Jones, um, where he's teaching the class, and, and all of the female mm-hmm. students are you know fawning over him. Um, 
Yes, I hadn't thought about yeah. that. Yeah, I'm I'm late to the party on the Indiana Jones movies, but really back like uh, right before Trump's inauguration, we watched one of them. It was almost like getting prepared to fight Nazis because we knew what was coming. Well, you know. but uh, <laughs> yes, I, I, I saw the scene that you're talking about. I was like, oh, that's that's where. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very reminiscent of it, 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 it does. It does remind me of it. It's you know. It's also I think interesting because considering that this is the very next leap. Um, after the pilot episode, that we kind of got the information uh, in the baseball leap, which is the second leap of the pilot, that he holds six doctorates. Mm-hmm. So I think it's you know it's kind of funny that now all of a sudden here we are seeing him as as a professor, um, you know, a clearly mm-hmm. an, an intelligent, educated person. Mm-hmm. Um, John Taylor, by the way, is the, the name, name. Uh, of the actor who plays the mirror image of Doctor Gerald Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Like, yeah, he has six doctorates, but he has no love for English literature. Yeah, like my like my least favorite cliches: bell bottoms, something, 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 and English lit. Mm. Belt, yeah, and you just, you can hear the disdain in his yeah. voice in there. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. anyway, before yeah, so they they start talking about. Uh, one of the stories that I can't remember. Uh, oh, Weathering Heights. Weathering Heights. Yeah, that's yes. right. Thank that you, is it. And before, yeah, before he can get too sucked into uh, having to discuss it, he is saved by the bell. Yeah, rain, indeed. Rain. And then we find out that they are in summer school because there's no class on Fridays in summer school that somebody mentioned. And of course, as right. all the women file out of the room, they continue to have sex <laughs> with their eyes uh, with with Sam slash Doctor Gerald Ryan. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, it's an interesting little scene. You know, it sets things up well. Um, I feel like, you know, they, they are able to establish very early on um, that he's a fish out of water. And, and, and it's something that they'll continue to do well, that they did mm-hmm. well in the pilot. Um, that, that that initial moment of being thrust into this new situation and having to figure out what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that the, you know, one of the great things about the show, uh, that we'll continue to see, but we've already seen just within the pilot in this episode, um, is that it, it's, it can be played in a comedic way, mm-hmm. you know, can have fun with it, but there, there are also going to be other times when it's not so funny for sure. Uh, so, you know, obviously I think this is one of those that, that results in some humor. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then class is out. Class is out, so he gets out in the courtyard, he pulls out his, his wallet, he sees Dr. Gerald Bryant's driver's license, so he gets a basic idea. And that's when we meet Jamie, Jamie Lee. Lee. Other than outside, she was one of the students in the classroom, but now right. they, they run into each other. Uh, they bump into each other, knock off books. He's able to conveniently get her name because she has her name written all on, over all, her, all over all over her textbooks. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you, God, time or fate or whatever for handing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that little thing over. Yeah, and Jamie Lee is uh, is an interesting character as played by Leslie Sachs. Um, I think I'm going to hold off talking too much about the character specifically until mm. we get to some later scenes that tell us some more, but it's clear from that very first scene that you know she is definitely going to be integral to the the plot. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's clear that, that they have a relationship yes. and... Uh, it's all been implied that it is a a sexual relationship, right? Because it, it, you know it's the, the it's the classic old line that I felt like me and my teenage buddies used a lot of. Because he's like, "You're a student, no fraternizing." That's not what you said last night. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So it's clear like what the relationship is, and then he sees Donna, 
Yes. Uh, which we haven't seen. Yeah, well, like in the voiceover, right then he says, oh, it's Donna. Yeah, of course, this is Lawrence. And yeah, so yeah. he sees her walking into the Wrath Skeller. Yep. To, uh, and we find out through their dialogue, Jamie Lee's dialogue, that she is going to work there. Yeah. But the Wrath Skeller is not open yet, so Sam cannot go in yet. So now we find ourselves back at Dr. Gerald Bryant's house. Yes. Yes, which is where we start to get a, a clear picture painted of a man who uh, is, is, you know, a, a bit of bit of a drunk. <laughs> Absolutely. I've always found it difficult like to understand this episode or understand like what women's appeal is. I mean, obviously they're, they're sleeping with him for their grade, but he looks in the mirror and he is just, he's just a mess. So, and it's like, how good does this guy have to be in bed that they look past? Oh, he's probably trash, but I, <laughs> I think it was, he did, they, they did cast him very well because he did look rather worse for the wear, but he had very piercing eyes. Mm, I think they were like okay. very blue. So I feel like he's teaching all these romance novels mm. in school and, you know, he's older. And so I could see how. Maybe not the, all the girls in the class was a bit of an exaggeration. I could see how when you have sort of this role model or someone you're looking up to who seems very intelligent and is talking about all these very romantic... He probably brings up all these very romantic ideas that sort of implies that he feels the same way. And so you could look beyond maybe his sort of disheveledness and kind of maybe one, maybe once he was very handsome and just look at the piercing eyes. and Well, and not only that, I think... I mean, it's 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 a cliche, but I also think that there's probably that that idea that here's this guy who's fallen off the rails a little bit, you know, he, he looks a little rough around the edges, but I can be the one that softens that out, that smooths that out. That, that underneath, you know, the the, the, diamond, yeah. the musk of booze and, mm. you know, pipe smoke, that there's there's a diamond under there, you know, mm. that there's somebody that, that can be rescued and um, fixed, uh, and that you know, the students want to be the one that, that does that. Uh, and I think that clearly there's the, there's the, the power dynamic of teacher and student. And for sure. So, it, you know, it does make sense. I, to be completely honest, it's, I, I've, I've seen that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I've literally seen almost exactly that with a little mm-hmm. bit less five o'clock shadow maybe. But, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's interesting, like, like seeing the first mirror shot throughout the entire series. It's interesting when the, the producers choose when to have Sam's hairstyle match mm. the mirror image yeah and when it does not yeah and uh it, like this one like his hair is all over the place in the mirror and right obviously like sam's hair is very neat yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh well and the idea too that um not to skip ahead but uh the idea that he ends up sam ends up cleaning up as Dr. Bryant. Sure. You know, he mm-hmm. does end up shaving, he ends up combing his hair mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. And yet, yeah, you, you know, Sam doesn't have the, the growth on his face and doesn't mm-hmm. have the, you know, the, the, the disheveled hair, hair and the, yeah. So it is, it is interesting to see that particular aspect as well. And it's something that honestly, I feel like we get, uh, there are a couple of things that we're going to talk about in the next few episodes of the podcast, as far as mere image and Sam that I think are very, very interesting, mm-hmm. but this is certainly a start to, to that, mm-hmm. um, without a doubt. Um, yeah, so Jamie Lee obviously wants something to happen, you know, right here, right now, mm-hmm. and, and Sam has to kind of, like, shoo her away, get her out. For sure. I mean, this is, uh, this is where she reveals that she has revealed the, 
the entire nature of a relationship to to her dad. Yeah, and this is the first scene where where Al shows up and reveals somewhat. This is what Sam is here to do. That in the original history, uh, Gerald Bryant and Jamie Lee were forced into uh, how does Al put it? A nice, intimate shotgun wedding, twelve yeah. gauge, I think. <laughs> yeah, and he's there to prevent that, stop them from, from happening, ruining and, their lives, and thus ruining their lives. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I was I was going to save this for a little bit later, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about it right now. I, I think that one of the interesting things about this particular episode, as we'll see through the whole thing, that is sort of typified by Leslie Sachs, is the the acting in the episode, uh, to me, is, is all over the place. Um, it is very, I don't want to say stylized, but it, it is very geared towards comedy and not taking it. Oh yeah, she's way over the top. Yeah, but I feel like every almost everybody in this episode is is way over the top. So yeah, you know, her boyfriend. But the the thing, but the thing is, is that those two characters absolutely are, and and I think that you know Sam, just because of Scott Bakula in general, you know, he he does kind of tread the line. Um, Mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, I think Al kind of treads that line as well. But then I would say like Donna. Um, and some other characters Jesus, that I won't, you know, for, for spoilers' sake, since we want to maintain some continuity here, yeah, are a little bit more grounded. Um, but yeah, so she she's she's pretty over the top in, in in this scene, and I think has some moments where, if you're not prepared for the comedic aspects of the show, could start to be a little eye rolling. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for me, you know, rewatching the episode. There was a, a certain element of just like, all right, when did when, when does she go away? Um, and 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 I feel bad saying that because I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with with her performance, mm-hmm. um, but perhaps maybe the the decisions that were made behind the scenes to to go in that direction for sure, uh, as opposed to maybe keeping things just a little bit more grounded. And I'm not saying that the situation didn't dictate a certain amount of you know over the top. Passion, if you will. Well, it's it's interesting. Like, if you just listen to the dialogue of that mm-hmm. scene, it's weird because uh, because Al shows up and Romeo and Juliet is mentioned, and Al mentions that Romeo committed suicide, and you know, in one of those like three way conversations, Sam blurts out suicide, and she's like, "Oh yes, of course, I love Pat." Like, she's ready to commit suicide yeah. over this. It's like if you didn't play it for laughs. This could be a very dark scene. That's true. That's very true. Uh, well, I, I, but it, I, I, it would be fascinating to me, and, and um, I'm sure it's out there. So, so maybe you know we'll eventually come back to this or, or, or insert it into something later. But um, I've not, unfortunately, read much about what Deborah Pratt has to say about this, considering that this was like her first script for the show. Mm-hmm. It'd be very interesting to hear her take on the direction. Uh, of the episode, sure. and, and if it was what she had in mind when she was writing it, and I imagine that it's entirely possible that she did, mm-hmm. you know, because I think she was clearly aware that that the show was supposed to have these comedic elements, mm-hmm. uh, like you were saying on the last episode. Belisario had kind of almost thought of the show as this, you know, science fiction comedy, almost oh, oh, yeah, you know, or, or, or dramedy maybe, mm-hmm. as opposed to what it evolves into. Sure. Um, so yeah, so so that's something I wanted to throw out there about about Jamie Lee and, and, and dear Leslie Sachs, um, because it, it is interesting to see, especially when you compare it to what we got in the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does seem very, very different in, in nature and tone. Um, but but yeah, so, yeah, so, <laughs> so we move on. He gets her away, basically tells her to come back, uh, when the moon has crest over the towers of Camelot. <laughs> and he's just setting himself up, 
setting himself up for failure later on. Yeah. Uh, but so, oh, so we, we also one one quick thing. We did get an oh boy moment in this scene when when uh, Jamie Lee's coming on to him. Yes. Um, yeah. In in when one of early art of the Corey, like oh boy. Yeah. I still and haven't it, noticed those. Well, no boys. they're he's, not as prominent yet. He's, he's oh, so okay. subtle. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Later on in the series, they become much more of the, the trademark thing. That I they, need to remember to like, much listen more the trademark for it. Thing that they are. Um, but then after she leaves, Sam reveals to Al that Donna Alicia is here. And we don't know who Donna is, but it is very clear that they both know who, mm-hmm. who, uh, who Donna is. Yeah. And so, you know, Sam is ready to go. Like, I, I don't care what Ziggy says I'm here to do. I am here to save my future relationship with Donna. And then, I do believe this is where we go to a commercial break, and then we, well, we, we come back. But, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm saying, then, then when we come back, we're back uh, out in the courtyard of the of Lawrence College, and this is when we come to the conversation of Al explaining to Sam, like, the rules of Quantum Leap Theater, yes. your rules, the time traveler cannot use time travel to benefit or change their own life. Yeah, and it's interesting because just knowing what we know about production blocks, that this episode was actually filmed later in the production blocks, but they decided to air it earlier. Um, this episode aired out of order. It was mm-hmm. originally the next episode after the pilot was supposed to be one we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. uh, and this was supposed to be like the third episode. Um, and so it's interesting that we come up against something like that so early, and I think it's one of the things that Deborah Pratt herself has said in, in retrospect that she's not entirely sure that having the drama of that happen immediately after the pilot, you know, made a lot of sense. Um, but I, I also think that the episode as a whole, uh, does some wonderful things to represent the series, maybe better than some of the episodes that are about to come. So I, I, knowing that it's interesting that this discussion about the rules and, and Sam's decision to break the rules right away happens so early. Uh, and yet because of the way the episode, I think fits together on the whole, it does almost make more sense to have it where it's placed. Mm-hmm. No. I have a question about the rules. So, they've made this rule you can't affect your own time stream or your own future. But I'm assuming they did not know going into this before he leaped that the whole thing would be you have to go back to change something before you can move on. They just assumed he could go, observe, and then go home, mm-hmm. right? So would they... Would At this the point, rule, they haven't made it clear, but yeah, that's a good guess. Yeah. I'm assuming then the rule would be like, you shouldn't make any changes at all. I mean, that's kind of generally time travel... That's typically, I feel like, often mm-hmm. the rule is you're trying not to change anything or anything that has already happened has happened. And, you know, even if you are thinking you're changing something, it's still going to cause the future to happen this way it already laid out. So it's interesting that, I don't know, I don't know what my question is exactly, but the fact that... It's like they, they don't have the rules clearly established yeah. for them. For the show for, itself. For, for themselves, yeah. Like we, we talked about, like last week on the pilot, it seemed like from episode to episode they kind of changed the rules... To what was most beneficial for, right. for that particular figure it out as for that go. particular episode. So I think the practical answer is that just for the drama of this particular episode heightens the stakes to say you can't be doing this. Mm-hmm. And I think you know again based on what you were just saying too, the idea that in in most time travel um, fiction there is that aspect of you can't change or affect your own past, that that is a part of it, or you can't change the past at all in some cases. So I I think that uh, as far as rules go, it it feels fairly standard. The thing that's interesting to me about it, and something that we've already talked a little bit about behind the scenes and will certainly continue to talk about as the show evolves, is that at this particular point, 
we don't necessarily know the impetus for the project. Mm-hmm. I would argue that perhaps we never learned that, um, but maybe we do. We'll talk about that more as we go on. Sure. And and so based off of that, I think it also makes the rules much more fascinating at this early stage in the game because they do they you know do the rules provide us with any clues as to why Sam wanted to do this? If he says if a rule that he set up himself, as Al tells us, is you can't change your own past. Why does he want to? Why does he want to do this? Is it just because we can? Is it that idea of like, you know, why put a man on the moon because it's what's next? You know, do we do we travel through time because it's something we just got to do? Um, you know, why is he doing this? And and if not to change the past, to change his own past, you know, what what was the impetus for it? Well, um, especially when I think this is the episode where they talk about that. You can only travel amongst your own time stream mm-hmm. and so and so yeah it's reinforced in this episode so it's interesting to have that rule like you're you're only traveling within your lifespan basically yeah but you're not allowed to do anything amongst yourself but here you are stuck in a place where all you can do is try to change the future for the better and so why wouldn't you be able to why wouldn't you want to at least i guess sure and compound that with the fact that of all of the places that he could leap to and all of the times that he could leap to he leaps into a time and place where he is indeed at arm's reach from the woman that we find out in this very scene Mm -hmm. left him at the altar. Mm -hmm. So uh, to kind of springboard off of this particular scene discussing the rules they're talking about the relationship that Sam had with Donna, he remembers bits and pieces of it. He knows that they were together. He knows that they were supposed to be together. He kind of remembers when they met. Al fills in the gaps. He knows that the wedding never happened. Al ends up telling him that it was because she didn't show up. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in this particular moment where... Al has informed him that the wedding never took place because she didn't show up. Uh, obviously, yeah, Sam wants to do something to change that, mm-hmm. to give them a second chance. Um, and so we get the rules. And, and, and I think that it's, it's, it is interesting, all of these things that we're talking about as far as the rules, why he did this, what, you know, what the game is, that out of all of the places and times that he could go, this is where he ends yeah. up. To jump back to when they're talking in the courtyard before we learn like, what Sam and Donna's relationship was I think it's really interesting. Al introduces uh, the the committee mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, I wrote that down. And yeah. in the early episodes, they they had this running joke of Al would throw out a name and Sam would go, "Oh, you know, short guy in knickers." No, tall, skinny guy with a stovepipe hat. Yeah, it was, <laughs> Sam always got the exact opposite of what it what it was. And I love like like they introduced like no, Whitesman's the head of the committee, and like already. They want you. There's to declare, issues. Yeah, they want you to declare non-compassmentist, mentally insane. Like they want to to pull you basically out of leadership of the project. Well, and I think you know one of the things that I will say right off the bat that there were some bullet points that I kind of highlighted, um, you know, as we're watching the episode, and that in two of the big ones that really stuck with me through this episode are the rules and the committee, um, and I think that the to establish some of this stuff the way that they're doing it was very smart. I think it, it kind of heightens the tension, but it does it in a way... Uh, this episode's more overt about it because it's introducing some of these concepts, obviously. Uh, but I think that they do it in such a way that it doesn't necessarily feel like it, it distracts from the, 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 the objective of the leap. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Because we're learning about the rules, we're learning about the committee, but I don't feel that that's taking anything away from the drama of... Dr. Gerald Bryant and what's happening 
around Sam in that timeline, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. And it, it shows, it, to me, it shows, you know, maturity on the screenwriter's part to be able to kind of have these added elements and these subplots without things getting overblown, mm-hmm. uh, which we will definitely talk more about mm-hmm. on our next episode. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, so I think that, yeah, I think that that setting that up is, is great. And, um, that we also, you know, that, that with Weitzman um, in particular, uh, uh, we get this, you know, identifiable character who is kind of, um, you know, he's an antagonist. He is like, an antagonist, like, like, yeah, a, like a nemesis to Sam and Al. That's, you know, I was going to use that word, but I almost felt uncomfortable using it because I don't want it to feel like, you know, he's like this big bad that's off screen that we never For see, sure. especially considering like the way modern television works. When we introduce a character like that, he would mm-hmm. be, you know, the quote unquote to to use the Joss Whedon phrase, the big bad. For sure. And 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 I don't want to I don't want to you know bluff our way into saying that this sure. is who he is. But and kind of going on a tangent, do you ever watch the Bozo Show as a kid? Totally. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember ever seeing the Boss? This is where our age difference may come in. I bet you never. I bet you watching the show never saw the Boss. I bet you only saw the interactions when they talked to him on the phone. You know, I think you're probably right. And here, and here is why. Because the actor who played the boss passed away from a stroke. Oh. This was something that the, the kids watching the Bozo show were never supposed to know. Sure. But since I went to kindergarten in the afternoons, I heard about this because one morning the Bozo show aired. I kept playing, watching TV while my mom cleaned the house, and then they came on with a special announcement on WGN saying that the actor who played the boss had passed away. Wow. And then I went to kindergarten in the afternoon. I, I remember, like, I was I was so upset by this. Like, that was the first thing I told Mrs. Brazier when I walked into to kindergarten that morning. But from then on, at the Bozo Show, you never saw the boss. You only saw him on the phone. For some reason, they decided to not replace him. So I was like, I was like the kid who knew a little bit more. It's like, they, they say he's on the phone on the other end, but no, he's really sad. Yeah. And that's why. Uh, so anyway, that's what made, like, Weitzman is like this unseen yeah. nemesis that you, that you never see. Well, and that's another thing, and this will become even more overt in this episode. We'll talk about it here in a few minutes, I imagine, but it is interesting to think that, again, the only characters that we see that are from the proper future, if you will, are Sam and Al, and Sam is clearly displaced, and so Al is really the only connection we have, and every everyone else is, is invisible, whether literally, as we'll see later in this episode, or metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it's, yeah, that, that it, it, it's done well. It introduces this extra aspect of the plot that... Uh, for modern television viewers in particular, I think is interesting because now all of a sudden we have something that's part of the, the arc, if you will. Sure. You know, like this is something that we can imagine is always there. Even if it's not necessarily mentioned in each episode, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's present. He's yeah. present. You know, Weitzman, the committee, there's something else Thing out there. There. So we have this conversation. We have a nice little special effects moment where Al is illuminated by the, the black lights in, in the Ralph Skeller. So he's a, he's a little bit see-through. So we have a nice little yep. hologram moment there. And we get, uh, we get uh, Inagata de Vida by Iron Butterfly mm-hmm. playing. Yeah, awesome. uh, yeah. yeah, which is, uh, yeah, helps to set that tone, I think. For sure. And what I love, I, I don't know why I love this, but when Sam is misremembering what happened between him and Donna, at first he misremembers this and says, I didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and yeah. Al, yeah. And Al has to correct him. Yeah. And I just find, I don't know why, I just find that like a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we so we get into the scene, and, and he meets Donna, he sits down, orders a cheeseburger, and she finishes it. She knows how Sam right. likes his cheeseburger. Well, and, and two quick things that I want to interject there is, one, we get this 
idea, which I don't necessarily know, um, has been as explicit is, is how selfish Sam can be. Um, you know, we get a little bit of it in the pilot episode Mm -hmm. because there, you know, he wants to get home. He wants to make that phone call to his dad. He wants, you know, he's, he's trying to do these things, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it doesn't seem it's quite as self-serving and as altruistic as Sam can be, Mm -hmm. you know, as I mentioned for the pilot episode, I think if he couldn't get away, he would stay in, you know, 1950s as Tom Stratton and live out that life if he had to. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but in this episode, it is very much. I want. Yes. And I would argue, not just for Sam, like anybody, the more altruistic someone is, when they snap back hard the other way, yeah. they can be totally incredibly selfish and self-centered. Yeah. So, yes. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention is about, like, fate. Um, you know, out of all the times and places he ends up, this is where he is. And when she shoots that cheeseburger order back at him... You know, to him, that's fate ringing a bell. Like, Absolutely. Like, yeah. you know, it's just like, mm, she knows. Right there. And uh, it was uh, noted in, in one of the books that we like to reference that in the original draft script, I'm not sure how it's done, but they explicitly state that Donna knows Sam's cheeseburger preference because they are star-crossed. Yeah, and that, and that they are joined by fate, where it's it's a little bit more the yeah, vague as it's presented. So it wasn't that the professor just happened to have the same cheeseburger order. Ooh, boom! That's a nice <laughs> kind of what I assumed. No, and that's well, great. I mean, it's like the, like it's like the 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 eye contact that they share in that scene. Like, yeah, because he was being be... creepy, and she was like, "I assume he comes in there." She she knew him clearly. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell. I can't remember. Did. Did she take his class? I know she says something about, like, I don't have to sleep with you to get good grades. Uh, it was implied that, yes, she, she she is in one of his classes. She knows him, and so I feel like he's being different than he has been in the past, and so I think she does the order, and he's like, oh, my order, she knows, and she's like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Yeah. Like, I, know, I felt like in the scene, like, she was, she had some eye contact with him that there was clearly something yeah, different. We should sure. mention by this point, if, if you haven't watched this episode, Donna is played by Terry, Terry Hatcher, Hatcher. Yeah, a 25-year-old uh, Terry year old Hatcher, Hatcher. Yes, who goes on you know, to, I think her next big thing after this was Lois and Clark, uh, The Adventures of Superman, which is probably my favorite Superman incarnation, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> and, then, and then later on, uh, Desperate Housewives, and then in between Lois and Clark and Desperate Housewives, there were the Radio Shack commercials. Um, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, so yeah, Terry Hatcher is is Donna. Uh, but should, but we, should we should we take a, a quick moment because we talked about Leslie Sachs a little bit to maybe talk about Terry Hatcher as mm-hmm. as as an actor in this particular episode for sure. So I don't want to give my opinion first. What did you guys think? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I have a commentary on her as an actor. I have commentary on how the character is written, but I, I think she she carried out the role as as best as it was written. I don't have any thoughts. <laughs> I can't, I honestly can't really remember. I didn't, it didn't stick out to me as not sufficient. It was clearly not as over the top as the, the Southern girl. She was much yeah. more, she was much more grounded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, for me, for me, real quick, for me, I think it's interesting because I have very distinct memories of the first few times that I saw this episode. It, you know, I saw it when it originally aired, and then I think the next time I saw it would probably be like 1994, so about five years afterwards. Sure. Um, and 
for me, I can just remember as a boy being smitten with her, first of all. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and also just really buying into the star-crossed nature of, of Sam and Donna's relationship. Um, I think I was kind of always attracted to stories like that, you know, they're, they're just the romantic in me, they're, there was something about that that I, you know, their love will overcome all or whatever. Um, so watching it now, after having not seen it for probably 10 plus years, uh, it, 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 it's interesting because there's, 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 there's a part of me that watching her, I guess I had a bit of a hard time buying her as the person that Sam Beckett falls in love with as this brilliant physicist and mathematician. Um, and that might sound unfair. I, I, but you know, we'll get to it later, later on in the montage that I call Sam mansplains quantum physics to the quantum <laughs> physics. Students. But I, I clearly, I, I think that's how the character was written. It was, it was, it was sure. nothing at the fault of, of Terry Hatcher. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to say that she was anywhere nearly as bad as like, say Denise Richards in the world is not enough. You know, the James Bond movie where she's supposed to be this brilliant physicist and you know, and all this and it was hard to buy. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know I, when it comes to, when it comes to Donna, Donna Alisi and Terry Hatcher, I, I, I'm not saying that there's not the opportunity and, um, eventuality that Sam would fall in love with this woman. Uh, clearly we're seeing her as a, as a young college student. Uh, but there were, I, I guess just my gut reaction after having seen the episode multiple times and now thinking about it again, after having been smitten with her and buying into it completely and all the romantic notions that go along with it, mm-hmm. that watching it now in my thirties, I'm looking at it and I'm just sort of like, really, is that her? Is that actually her? Um, regardless, well, I mean, well, well, to, th- to throw this out there, what age was Jessica when you two met? 24. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. So, I mean, so let's, so let's no, say... No, actually, she was 23. She was 23, 23 when we first met. I mean, so let's say, you know, whatever plot device time travels you back to a point where you meet her as another person. Sure. And she's 16 years old. Yeah. Is she the person that you would have fallen in love with when you met at 23. Well, first of all, that's a little icky to think about. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. But, but, but no, uh, in, in all seriousness, that is a very, very good point. And uh, I, I think, yeah, that, that it would be well, interesting. Because she's just starting her education as well. Yeah, and it's well. She's clearly interested I, in, because he talks about. No, they talk about both being interested in time travel. Oh, she's absolutely. clearly already right. Well, down, she's going down the track. I mean, yeah. they 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 establish in a voiceover that Sam was doing what they had both had dreamed of mm-hmm. that he was traveling through time because they met. And I don't know if this is explicitly said, but I know that it's pretty much established as you know canon, if you will. It's in my head canon. They pretty much met working on Project Starbright. She was just leaving the Starbright yeah. project, which as a nerdery aside, yeah. says the guy who co-hosts a Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> in the novels, it's established that Project Starbright was actually centered around deep space travel. Yes. But by the end of Starbright, they realized they didn't have the information that they needed for Starbright. And so Project Quantum Leap was supposed to be a step back in a way to learn the information that they needed yeah. for deep space travel. Which, by the way, in, in this episode, in the previous episode, we see Al wearing the star. Yes. Insignia, which they never explain. No. Just for the fact that it is a bright star. Right. I've always assumed that that was, uh, that was a leftover from 
Project from Al's time working on Project Starbright, and he just like yeah. wears that for, for nostalgia. Yeah, I, you know what? And I hesitate to do this, and who knows? Maybe we'll even cut this out, and it won't even air in this episode, and we'll save it for later. But I, to delve deeper into that, I think that one of the things that is very fascinating to me about the mythology that does get added in and sprinkled in over five seasons of episodes is that we know Project Starbright was something that Sam worked on, that Al worked on, that Donna worked on, that Al was a drunk and in a deep, dark hole the entire time they worked on it, that Donna ends up leaving Sam at the altar and, you know, and is never heard from again in the context of this, and that Sam is also in in probably a pretty interesting place because of a couple of events that happened in his life, which I won't spoil in case we do use this, um, that there were two things in particular that happened to him within the last 10 or 15 years that bring him to this point, and that out of this project is born Project Quantum Leap, which I think can maybe inform, or we can infer, informs a little of maybe the reasons why he did decide to go forward with this time travel idea. Absolutely. Maybe not, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah. But to jump back, like the question I asked about, like, you know, had you gone back and met Jessica at an early age, like watching this episode, uh, you know, it put me in mind of me and uh, Betsy's relationship, Betsy, my wife, for you listeners at home. Um, Betsy moved to Chicago in 2000, 2001. I moved to Chicago in 2006. Uh, so there were five years we were in the city together because we didn't meet until 2011. There were five years that we were in the city together where we didn't know each other. But then after we met and started dating, we found out that we were in very close proximity to each other uh, during that time. Like almost at a, at a, at a creepy how-I-met-your-mother <laughs> level. Uh, we lived in adjacent neighborhoods. We shared the same grocery store for a while. And I won't go into the long, convoluted way how we figured this out... But in 2007, she went to a party in this guy's uh, basement apartment in Roscoe Village, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the guy was cranking his music. Cranking it so loud, in fact, that the upstairs neighbor came downstairs and pounded on the door yelling at this guy to turn down his GD music. And seven years later, in 2014, after we'd been together for three years, we discovered that I was that neighbor who came downstairs <laughs> wow. and pounded on the door. Crazy. Um, but we've talked about this a lot because of stuff that we had going on between 2006 and 2011. Had we met anywhere during that time, had we met any time before the time that we met and started dating a few weeks later, we probably would not have connected. Yeah. It is very likely we may have walked away from each other like not even liking each other sure. just because of the different baggage and different things that we had going on during that time. Um, yeah. So I, I find it interesting within the context of this episode. First off, like what you were saying, like Donna doesn't strike you as the kind of woman that that Sam would fall in love with. But also, Sam is trying to force something. Sam is trying to force a relationship that where they don't meet for another twelve years. Yeah. Did I, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember there being a sense of like the two of them having really that intensive moments or like him trying to almost establish something with her in the past. Like it felt more like he knew who she was going to be and he was doing all this for that person versus like you right here now. I, I don't think he was trying like obviously not trying to establish a romantic relationship being oh, definitely in, in, in the life of, 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 of Bryant, but he was trying to forge an emotional connection right off the bat that wasn't, 
that wasn't merited. Yeah, and I think that you know one of the things that the episode uh, does touch on and 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 hints at is that as we go on, there seem to be these moments where Donna is starting to see Doctor Bryant in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Sam is is smart enough, aware enough to, uh, yeah, to, to resist any sort of urge to be with her as Dr. Bryant, mm-hmm. knowing what that, that might cause, that, know, that, the that effects. Would, yeah. That, that would have been a creepy scene. <laughs> yeah. But it's just about like, like just him forcing the issue. Like by the end of the scene with, with the cheeseburger, as she walks away, she very clearly says, please don't talk to me again. Right. And the next time, and one of the next scenes to jump ahead, he, like he just strolls into the science building, just completely ignoring the fact that the last time they spoke, she directly said, Please, please don't speak with me again. And it kind of, the reason why I found it problematic, it kind of plays into the trope um, that, that that's sprinkled through a lot of, of romance fiction, is that uh, if a guy likes a girl, if he really likes her, sometimes all it takes is just like just being persistent and really just, just sticking with it until he wears her down, uh, until she realizes that, that they're right. And there are still problematic things now, I, I saw an article, a friend of mine shared it in my Facebook news feed a few days ago. It was a think piece talking about the underlying misogyny of the Big Bang Theory. Hmm. And I, Dave, either you watch that show. I've seen a few seasons. I can't stand a fan. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I can't. I've only watched like a few minutes of it here and there. But the article was talking about how like on that show, like the 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 male characters on that show, like they, I don't know if it's one or, or all of them, like they all have this bad habit of like being persistent with women and being pushy. And it's like misogyny wrapped up in all this cute nerdery. Right. Cause it has a happy ending. So it's okay. Right. Versus if you're well, actually being harassed by somebody who's, you want to leave you alone. For sure. And I will, and I will argue, you know, to my last breath that there is a, a time and a place for persistence, but you have to absolutely be aware. If a woman says, please don't talk to me again, that's not the time for it. If a woman continues to talk to you, but declines the offer to go out on a date with you, and you decide to persist in trying to get that date, I think that's okay. And the reason why I think that's okay is because I wouldn't be sitting here with my wife right now if that were not the case. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so I think what Sam does in this episode is absolutely problematic. Yeah. Yeah, hold on, yeah. Jump ahead to, like, what he ends up doing, like, later on. Yeah, uh, to, right. Yeah, to get us back on track with the thing. So, uh, Donna tells him to leave him alone, and yep. she ends up, like, you find out that she has left uh, her shift because she wasn't feeling well, but during this, we meet Oscar. Oscar. Michael uh, McGrady. Yes. Uh, who was actually, he was uh, name-checked earlier in the episode by Jamie Lee. Right. Uh, Oscar's a Neanderthal who goes to some other neighboring university, I can't remember now. Oh, he wants yeah. to pin me, because he's a wrestler. Right, he's a wrestler, yeah. And so this is where we get Oscar who approaches, like, hey, I told you not to talk to my girl. And Sam's like, Donna's your girl? Like, Jamie Lee is my girl. Yeah. And then and then we get into this. Uh, one of the more comedic scenes yeah. of the episode. You know, and well played, I, I will say, even though I'm not necessarily a huge fan of some of the comedic things that happen in this episode, and, and by saying not a huge fan, that doesn't mean that I don't like it. I just you know, don't like it as much as I like some of the other stuff in the episode. Mm-hmm. But this scene, I think, works really well, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, it, most of it's focused on Sam. 
Um, even though, you know, and, and, and Michael just ends up, or Michael Oscar, mm-hmm. who's played by Michael McGrady, ends up being this, you know, imposing presence um, that, that Sam, uh, Scott Bakula, gets to just play off of. For sure. And it works really, really well mm-hmm. um, because he, you know, he starts saying like, oh, no, Jamie Lee's just doing this to make you jealous and, you know, don't, don't worry about anything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's totally, yeah, like reader poetry. Yeah. And he starts off, uh, I can't remember what the limerick is. Oh, it, God. It's, it, it's, it's not um, there once was a man from Nantucket, but there's but something, it's along the lines there's, there's that, something yeah. on par with that where he starts saying, and Sam's like, no, 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 like, like read her like genuine poetry. Oh, right. uh, it's also it should be noted, and this is problematic with all of the college students in this episode. Is they are clearly way too old for college, oh, es- especially oh, yeah. this act, especially this actor who plays Oscar. Like my first impression rewatching this episode was like this was like if Will Ferrell. <laughs> play played a college student and watching this episode with Betsy like every time he appeared like Betsy was like oh the 30 year old college student the next time oh the 35 year old college student the next time oh the 45 year old college student here we go um, but anyway so through but this scene uh, the plot is uh, the, the story is furthered by Sam encouraging Oscar to like you uh, horny is not romantic to a girl like right. you need to like read her poetry like you need to romance Jamie Lee if you want to be with her, and he throws out like, "I'm going to try. It. I love her so much. I'll try anything." But I think you're feeding me a load of crap. And if it and doesn't work, work I, I will be back. I will be back to break your face. Break your face. <laughs> That's right. Um, which brings us to the next scene. Mm-hmm. And who should show up yet again in, for Doctor Brian's house? Mm-hmm. Is Jamie Lee. <laughs> Jamie, yeah, yeah. So that's nice. So this is an interesting. The scene starts off with Sam in his robe, and he's smoking a pipe. And this is a project, I think, of just, like, early on in the series and not really knowing who Sam was, but to give a minor spoiler away, later on in the series, we find that Sam is very Mm anti-smoking. And he's smoking a pipe in this scene. And practically, it's just because this early on in the series, they didn't know who Sam was. But I also find it interesting is, if you want to rationalize it away creatively, is that he's doing a little bit of mind-melding, mind-merging with... Dr. Bryant in this scene. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yet another uh, potential example of something that occurs, I think, more later on, that the idea that when Sam leaps into someone, uh, sometimes their memories and, and persona kind of imprint on him. Yeah. yeah. And um, also, it's interesting to note, just for further plot development in this episode, um, we're also reminded that the 1972 presidential election yes. is gearing up, because that's what's on TV right now, and, and Sam makes the point in his monologue that Right now, with everything going on with Donna, he just doesn't find politics. I, yeah, I thought that's interesting. Right um, he when he leaps, that's one of the ways he roots himself by like, who's the president? He does that a couple times. He I does. Think. That's right. And yeah. that's sort of how he he remember. I think maybe that maybe a way for him to put himself because it's one thing to hear a time, but if you can say what was going on during that time, it kind of reminds you of where you were. And so he wants to figure out. And he does that a lot in these early episodes doing. too, where not only like not only does he like check in on who the president is, like he kind of checks in like where he is at in his life. Yeah. Right oh, now. oh yeah. That's yeah. Or, yeah that's I right. I was just a baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you know, obviously, the ways that he does that so frequently are through the television, through the newspapers, and through the radio. Yeah. You know, he'll every, hear something on every time. The TV every time, you know. traveler's device right there, everything right there, yeah. TV, radio, newspaper. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, the, so, so specifically, uh, the TV report is on Edmund Muskie and George McGovern. Um, and, uh, there's also, uh, an update on Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, which this is the first time that we 
get a really... real mention of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, and to name check Muskie, which is interesting, the, you know, you talked about in our preview episode, like getting a real sense of history. Yeah. Uh, another very Quantum Leap-esque show, Sliders, yeah. made reference to Muskie in one episode. Because all I know about Muskie is that he tainted for himself as a politician is that he got so overcome during a debate he started crying. Yeah. And that actually undermined him as a candidate. Yeah. And I just remember that from an episode of Sliders where one of the characters tries to do a very similar thing and it ends up backfiring and instead of... Because he's trying to undermine himself in this episode of Sliders by pulling a muskie. Yeah. And it actually endears him with voters (laughs) and he ends up winning as a result. <laughs> anyway, side note. The, hey, the more you know. The things you learn from television. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Vietnam uh, is definitely something we'll hear more about. And something that I want to talk about real quick, which doesn't have to do specifically with this episode, but with the first season in general. Don Belisario, I think we talked about this last episode actually a little bit, uh, had envisioned that this show would be geared towards a certain audience. And the audience he had in mind were baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And for baby boomers in particular, I think the mention of uh, the 1972 election uh-huh. and what's happening in politics in that particular year in general um, and Vietnam would have been huge markers in their lives and I think that the other thing that's interesting just knowing my dad in particular who is a baby boomer uh-huh. um, you know where he would have been in his life in this particular time and era uh, is a time when I think you start paying a little bit more attention when you're in your like early to mid 20s um, and to be surrounded by Vietnam and, you know, what's happening in the late 60s and early 70s politically and socially in this mm-hmm. country. So I think that, you know, that that's something Absolutely. that... I mean, it's, it's very much like if a time travel series that was on the air today, mm-hmm. if it, if it name-checked the 2000 presidential election between Bush and Gore and 9-11... Yeah, exactly. Very similar minds. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, it's, so, so that's, that's an interesting device. Going to further that, the intro to the episodes now... Are, you know, they, they flash by certain years and there are certain images. The years that they flash by, even though we know Sam can travel in his own lifetime, are restricted to the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We don't get anything from the 80s. Um, it's, all, it's all these sort of times that a lot of baby boomers would look back on and feel young and excited and optimistic about, or pivotal moments that sure. changed the course of everything. You know, a lot of people today, when we look back on those years, historians talk about how the 70s was sort of the, the death of the dream, and that's when a lot of the baby boomers started to sell out, and the 80s were all about materialism, etc. Mm-hmm. But there was that time in the 50s and 60s and early 70s when there was still just a little bit of that passion, a little bit of that youth, that vitality. And so I think that the images that are also shown are these very famous images of, you know, uh, the Kennedys and, and, and other mm-hmm. things that are happening at that time that you baby boomers would have found easily identifiable. The fascinating thing about that is those weren't the people that ended up watching the show. No, no, no. Yeah. So his exactly. target audience he kind of failed with. And that's the thing that, uh, that it's noted that he, Don Belisario, layman in, at the 20-year uh, anniversary of the 2009 Quantum Leap Convention is that the show, yeah, the show caught on with everybody else except for the baby boomers. Yeah. And the reason why that's, uh, that's a discussion, uh, right. a discussion for another thing. So, so anyway, so, back so, to yeah, yeah. So, so we're in this scene, he's smoking a pipe and, and Jamie Lee shows up and like, she isn't like full, like Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabethan. <laughs> we won't edit that out later. Anyway, um, shows up in Elizabethan. Yeah. Garden. And Al shows up at about the same time. And, and Sam was like, why, why are you here now? And Al's like, well, I think you did this on yourself because the moon has crest over the towers of Camelot. Yes. And so, she, like, she's like she's ready to go. She's ready. She's to, Guinevere. Yeah, she's yes. Guinevere. That's yeah. it. She is ready to go. And we have this nice little comedic moment where Al walks into uh, 
Dr. Bryant's closet. Yeah. Like, there's kinky stuff. There's rubber stuff. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's another, I think that it's another thing that, that Al gets to have some of these moments because of the nature of being a hologram and uh, because of his personality that helped to bring out the, the humor in a way that when there's other people in the room with Sam, mm-hmm. that Sam can't necessarily have the reaction that he wants to. Sometimes he does anyway, which creates for even further humorous moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Al gets to find out something that Sam isn't even aware about yet. For sure. And, yeah. I, I, f- I feel like in this scene, Sam had a lot of asides to Al, and Jamie Lee just doesn't notice because Jamie Lee is wrapped up in her own. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. She probably that. just passed it off as part of the game. As part of the I don't game, get yeah. it, but whatever. Yeah, so he shoots her away again, and then we, we cut to the next scene... Where, where Sam is walking into the science building. Oh, you know what? Let me uh, let me go back real quick. Because one thing that Absolutely. we did forget to mention that I think is very important to this episode that does get established earlier is that Al is in danger of being removed from the project if by the he committee. gives any personal information. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's very important to the oh, scene. Yeah. Because yeah, he because there's a whole discussion like Don and you how I like my cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Which when you say that out loud, that just sounds so damn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, be a little naive there, Sam. You know? and so, but he's yeah. buying into fate, yes. being a part of this. Yes. And I think that that's also an interesting exploration on another level of what is causing him to leap around. Absolutely. And so this in the scene where Sam has made the, the huge connection that the reason why Donna left him at the altar is because her dad left her as a child, and so she can't establish a mm-hmm. uh, a meaningful relationship with a man. First off, that's very convenient of his Swiss cheese memory to, to pull that out. Yeah. And secondly, like, he is all ready to jump into, well, let's reunite Donna with her dad. And that's when he starts going out for information. And that's when Al says, like, you know, like, they will pull me from the project. I've yeah. already done it once. I gave you your last name. They'll pull me from the project if I do it again. I can't. And I, I and one, and one of the things that, again, that that does in, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think it establishes a really nice tension between these two plots mm-hmm. that doesn't interfere. In fact, if anything, helps to inform the main plot of the episode, mm-hmm. which reinforces whether some of the dialogue is as tight as it could be or nice as it could be. The overall plot of the episode, I think, continues to, to really flow nicely and uh, feel like there's nothing distracting us from from any anything that's occurring. You know, like, we've got these little subplots, sure, with, like, Oscar and Jamie Lee, but, but overall, the overarching plot, everything fits together really, really well, but also not in some sort of, well, that's convenient sort of way. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's the storytelling, aside from dialogue or direction, the storytelling is really, really kind of dialed in, and, mm-hmm. I, and it's one of the reasons why I think the episode holds up. Mm-hmm. So, sure. Yeah. So anyway, yes. So now we, so we're going to head down to the next scene of of Sam showing up at the science building yes. to talk with Don, and he has this nice little monologue where he romanticizes oh Bunsen burners are the common denominator between all the sciences, blah blah blah. And here I am stuck in Mister English lit, and then he goes in and he walks in on Donna working, and he walks up and he finishes an, an equation that that she had wrong or she was missing a, an essential piece from. And he, yeah, and, and he and he explains to her why. And so we have this scene where they talk about like if you could go back in time, where would you go? And they kind of nerd out about this. Hubble's and constant. Hubble's That's constant. Right, yeah. That is it. Yeah. And then Sam makes the mistake of like if you go back in time, what would you do? Would you go back before your dad left you? Yeah. <laughs> and so of course and she's this, like, how do you know that? And then and then Sam stumbles his way through an explanation, and he would like you to, didn't list your father on your school records. And yeah. Blah blah yeah. blah. And then. You know, so she's walking out. It's like, hey, I have this string theory on time travel. It, it's very speculative. I can't prove it, but I would love your thoughts on it. 
Um, and what I find really interesting about this scene is like she doesn't say yes, she doesn't say no. She he just throws it out there, and she walks away. Yeah. And then we cut to the montage, which I mentioned earlier. I call Sam Mansplains quantum physics to the quantum physics student. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, on one hand, I mean, clearly, with his with his Swiss cheese memory, you have to wonder, how does he remember all of these pieces? Um, you know, on the other hand, he is this brilliant, brilliant man. I mean, that's the thing that sometimes, I, I think, sometimes it's very easy to, to remember this, because he gets placed in situations where he gets to show it off. Other times, you're left kind of saying, uh, you know, he's he's... Einstein, and I forget that he's supposed to be Einstein. Mm -hmm. But it's not only that he's Einstein, you know, I mean, here's a guy who, um, you know, as we'll find out later on in the series, there's, there's a lot more to him, you know. He, there's, there's an artistic side, there's a, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of different sides to Sam Beckett, and so, you know, he is this brilliant man. Um, he is in the, the teacher's clothes right now, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, while, yes, uh, he, he's definitely you know, mansplaining quantum physics to the quantum physics student, um, that it, it's understandable in so much as what he's attempting to do here with Donna and the knowledge that he possesses mm -hmm. uh, at that particular time. For sure. And I guess we should, going back to your saying, like, you you don't see Donna as someone he would fall in love with. Like, rewatching this montage, like, in every single scene, he is explaining something to her. Yeah. And she's clearly like, wow, <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. And it could have benefited from, like, if there were, like, a scene or two in this montage where actually she's schooling yeah. him on something. And, 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 we, and we clearly see him going, like... Because well, he just oh, learned crap. all that from Al. He didn't know that. Well, so. Like, like, oh, I didn't. Like, oh, I didn't think any about that. Like, there, yeah. there wasn't, there wasn't a back and forth in that. It was like Sam explains everything, and that's not Terry Hatcher's fault. Right. That's that's the fault of the of the the writing and the direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that it you know it, it feels like something that you know we've seen before many times where you you do you have a male character and in particular a younger female character. Mm -hmm. um, not always, uh, but but in particular a younger female character where yeah, there's you know the man explains it all and that's that's that. Mm -hmm. um, Does this Swiss cheese memory? Is it more like sort of amnesia? Like he can't remember his stuff from the past. But he anything moving forward, he retains. Is it that kind of a thing, or is it that he's going to forget some of these leaps? And he definitely it's, forgets it's, the it's, leaps. it's very much implied yeah. that that he has a very fuzzy memory in general. Of, of so it's still leaps. continuing mm -hmm. to basically to the, the, okay. the way the the way that I see it is that uh, every time he leaps, it's it's sort of like you know you have this piece of Swiss cheese. Mid leap, the cheese is filled again, and then he finishes the leap, and now there's new holes. So, in other words, you imagine you imagine the full brain, and then all of a sudden there's new holes, and then the next leap happens, and mm -hmm. you know, full brain now new holes. Mm -hmm. So it's like I, I think that there are certain things that he'll remember from time to time that he doesn't remember um, in a previous leap or the next leap, and that he won't necessarily remember the previous leap to the next mm -hmm. yeah etc so yeah I think that it's something that kind of resets every time but there's always gaps mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so we fall onto the other end of the scene and so at the end of the montage we very conveniently have Terry Hatcher say but only in his own lifetime right right yeah um which which kind of hints at like the the future saga cell which is very famous for like theorizing that one could time travel yeah time, blah 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 uh but anyway, so she, so they're sitting back in the Wrath Skeller. She has to go get ready for work, and this is very convenient for Al to show up in a very weird outfit. piece of art, like some outfit which includes some hieroglyphics hanging from his from his belt. Yes, and 
Go ahead. The, the, you know, one of the things about this particular scene um, is that it really it ties back into that ongoing conflict and tension that Al introduced early in the episode that there is the danger of him getting removed. They can't share personal mm-hmm. information that... Um, so really, it doesn't... It's not like it's... There's, like, Doctor Who, where if you do certain things, like, it could mess up the world and, you know, paradoxes or whatever. And in this case, it just feels like it's an arbitrary rule that this committee has come up with, and because it's the law and because it's the rule, you just have to do it. Like, if, if he learns this stuff, like, it's not going to cause things to explode is the sense I'm getting because yeah. he, he, he it doesn't feel like Al has any real reservations about sharing the information he's just as like mm. I know I'm going to get in trouble other than and this is jumping back and this is a comment that I forgot to make earlier is that in the brief scene where we first uh, where we're down at the, the, the Rathskeller and Al sees Donna for the first time he has this line where he says oh my god it is her mm. and you just get this real sense he does not like Donna and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with what Donna did, did to, to Sam. To him, right? Did to mm-hmm. Sam. Uh, but, but just speaking on that, it's like, uh, I, I don't think Al is necessarily thrilled about even trying to reunite mm-hmm. these two Well, yeah. he does. Th- it seems like he thinks it's a bad idea. Well, he, I think that the other thing is, though, that he identifies... <laughs> he identifies um, that Sam... Is, is clearly a very headstrong person. I mean, here's a guy who jumped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator before it was ready to go. Sure. Um, so that, I, I, I think, I s- suppose here that Al is thinking, he's going to do it anyway, I might as well do what I can. Mm-hmm. Even though, as we learn explicitly in this scene, he is very much at risk here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what happens after he shows up is that he, he lets Sam in through pantomime, basically, that he's not alone, mm-hmm. that there are other people in the imaging chamber with him, mm-hmm. that Sam cannot see them, that they cannot hear Sam, but they can hear Al. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get this, and this is the first time it's clearly established that the imaging chamber just doesn't work for everyone. Right. Like, this project clearly centers around Sam and Al, and even though these people are standing in the imaging chamber with Al, like, they they just see the walls of the room, basically, and Al and Sam are the only ones who have that. Right. Connection. Yeah, which uh, which kind of kind of reinforces what we were talking about last episode about the nature of their relationship, which is something that I think will get further reinforced in the next couple of episodes that we mm-hmm. talk about. Well, there's um, even a line later on in this episode, I think, that further reinforces it, but we'll... Yeah, we'll get we'll there. Get there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so through these hieroglyphics, first off, Sam realizes that uh, one of his six degrees is not in psychology, as Al points out, because Sam is trying to explain, like, her... her Dad left her, and that's why. And if I could just reunite, and I was like, you know, those six degrees you hold—not one of them in psychology, quantum <laughs> physics, yes, medicine, yes, ancient languages, yes, and not so subtly <laughs> pointing at his yeah, sure, pointing yeah. down at the sash. And then Sam starts like, I can't read any of that, and all of a sudden, like, he can identify the symbols for capital and for, army. for capital, Pharaoh's army. And then we have like this little song and dance, uh, who's on first routine, and finally he figures out that uh, Donna's dad is in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And it's at this point where Al, you know, basically the jig is up. Like, people on the other side can can tell what's going on. And Al's like, what hieroglyphics? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the sash gets pulled away, and we see these invisible arms hook Al hook Al and, and yeah. dragging him out of the imaging chamber. And it's interesting, this one, because the imaging chamber door is usually just presented as like a door-sized door. Yeah. But if you really pay attention in the background, like it's almost like the, like these garage 
huge garage doors that open up. Yeah. And and that shudder yeah. and owl. But so as it's... he's as he's being dragged out, he does have time yes, to her dad's name. How did I say Colonel Wojohowicz in yeah. hieroglyphics? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> now so now Sam has a, a place, a, a uh, occupation and a last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Donna comes back in yep. and now he's like, or you know, can we go you know, re- do you want to travel with me to Washington DC to yeah. reunite a lost love? Right. And I can't remember if she if she agrees to it, but it's just kind of left up in the air. She, yeah, I mean, yeah, she pretty much kind of yeah. She, yeah, she she at this point, you know, again at this point, I think that and it, and it gets a little more weird in in the trip to DC. But at this point, you're starting to see that Donna is seeing Doctor Bryant in a different light, mm-hmm. um, and even more than a teacher student sort of light, mm-hmm. uh, respectful. You know, okay, maybe he's not as awful as I thought. He's a good teacher, sort sure. of thing. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, and it's funny because at this particular point, um, well, before that, I guess actually he he goes back and and makes a phone call um, to to her dad, mm-hmm. um, and and talks to her dad. Uh, well, no, it's, it's after this point. Yeah, we have the, yeah the scene where he talks to the dad and basically like he tries to play the psychologist thing like all over like you know you leaving her. Blah blah blah. She yeah. can't she can't love another man. You two need to reunite. We find out that Cornwall Jehoich is shipping out for Vietnam. Yeah. The very next day, and he doesn't want to reopen these old wounds. Wojohowicz hangs up on him. We get a knock at the door. And It's Oscar. Uh, uh, yeah, Oscar returns. We get like a punch. We don't know who it is. Like we just see Sam get punched to the ground. We go to commercial break and then we come back. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um and so we find out that Oscar's uh, overtures towards Jamie Lee has it worked because something like you know I you know I said that her perfume made me horny and yeah this made me even hornier and Sam's like no 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 you're still like <laughs> and this is where he says like horny is not romantic yeah to a thing and then we find out Oscar's real contribution to the story is that Oscar has a car mm-hmm. <laughs> to get them to get them which to is also very funny because one of the things that Sam does to convince Donna to go to Washington is promises that there will be a chaperone. That's right, yes. And it's hilarious to me that the chaperones end up being Jamie Lee and Oscar. Oscar, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, love, I love the line in the scene where it's like, uh, how do you feel about uh, you, me, Donnie Lisi, Jamie Lee, and you going to D.C. together? And Oscar's like, in that order? Yeah. And Sam's like, yes, <laughs> in that order. Yeah, like, what? Yeah, and, and then we cut to them, and then we cut to them driving in the middle of the night, some nice little 70s music playing yeah. headed towards D. See, and this is the point when I was rewatching the episode, uh, Betsy was kind of in and out of the room. So she was kind of like half following the episode, but she didn't really follow the plot. And so she walked through it, sat down at this point, and I was like, all right, so let's say you're estranged from one of your parents, and the somewhat kind of creepy guy in your life drops on you at, at almost the last moment, like the point of no return, that he is taking you to reunite with that parent. What would you do? And Betsy was like, I would remove myself from that situation as soon as possible. Yeah. 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 So it's in this scene where Sam reveals what he's doing. Like at first, Donna thinks that they're making this cross country drive just to put 
uh, Jamie Lee and Oscar together, but then he reveals like, no, I'm driving you to Washington. I almost thought well before your father, but before that happens though, real quick because I do think this is important. Al reappears to Sam. Um, Not yet. No, yeah, it is. It's before this. It's before because they stop at a gas station, mm-hmm. and when they stop at the gas station, Al reappears. And Sam That's is super right. happy. Yes. He's like, I never thought I'd see you again. Good point. Al tells him about setting Tina up with Weitzman mm-hmm. to get dirt on him so that he can basically bribe him. Yeah. You set up with Tina with Weitzman and then blackmailed him. Yes. Yes. And this is the really telling moment that I shared before, too. It's like they don't like bang you over the head with it. But when Al throws out the idea that, hey, if you reunite Donna with her dad, there's a good chance she'll be able to commit to a relationship with the future. And Sam says... No offense, this time I'm going to make Ziggy my best man. Which implies that the first time, Al was his best best man. man. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of get an idea. Because at this point, you don't really know what they're... If they have a relationship other than a work relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so they get the idea that Sam and Al are truly best friends. Right. And again, I would argue that just because of what we learned in the first episode, and this could be a lot of hindsight informing this, that the whole they're connected by their neurons and mesons, that that's like a big deal as well. But Mm -hmm. yeah, this is definitely uh, affirming that in a way that we didn't get in the pilot. Um, Another thing that's interesting, though, that happens here that's kind of a bit of a bombshell, if you ask me, is that Sam's going to all these lengths to try to get... Donna back with her father so that, you know, eventually she'll marry him, uh, is that we find out by Al telling Sam that Donna was engaged once before Sam. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of throwing the issue up in the air of, even if this works, she might not marry you. What if she stays with the first guy sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Um, Which then brings us to the moment in the car where Donna says, why are you taking me to Washington, Mm D.C.? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And there was also a cute little moment earlier with Jamie Lee and Donna over Oscar pretends to shoot a deer that they see oh. in the woods and this whole thing like you would shoot a deer I want you know basically he's touching me yeah get him away from me right 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 because like Bambi was a deer you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, 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 <laughs> and Sam and Donna kind of team up to to kind of bring Jamie Lee around to Oscar's point right because is it, what is it is it something about what Lancelot does for Guinevere. Uh, Lancelot like brought Guinevere at least a deer a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, and so we have this moment where where Sam reveals like this is why they're driving to DC to reunite. Yeah, and then you know, and then and then Sam ends up telling her uh, during that moment that he had a fiance leave him at the altar, as in. Dr. Bryant, not Sam Beckett, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's one of the reasons why he wants to... She was going to quantum physics, that's why she reads, that's why he reads the books. Yeah, and so he's her. trying to reunite her with her father so that, you know, the same thing doesn't happen to her one day, or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. And then and then after she reveals, like, there's a shot of Donna looking out the window and she says, you really are romantic. Yeah. Then we have the, the 70s music, and then we... Uh, we go uh, into the building where Dr. Wojciechowicz is staying. They go into the lobby. They try to get in. They can't get in because they basically they can't prove that Donna is because she has a different his last daughter, name. different yeah. last name. And rewatching this episode, it's like it's an hour of television and it's mostly a comedy, whatever. But Donna is just really nonchalant at this point about going to meet her estranged dad. Yeah. That she's kind of going that, along with it that all. That left 12 years ago. It was like, oh, yeah, she's not nervous at all. She's ready to go. But they get shooed out of the, the lobby by the security guards. They find another way to get into the building because it turns out there's a there's a door that's been broken Left into. ajar. Yeah, left left ajar. And actually, like, the lock has been broken. The lock's been taped over. Yeah, and yeah. taped over. And then the security guards go out. They they check Sam's story. Like, hey, we drove all the way from Ohio. The security guard, yep, sure enough, there's a car in the parking lot with Ohio plates. And then we get this nice little 
beat you over the head moment um, where the security guard goes. He finds the same unlocked door that Sam and Donna had just found, and it turns out we're at the Watergate Hotel. Yes, our, our kiss with history. Our kiss with history. Is that Watergate yeah, this Hotel, is the yeah. night of the of the Watergate break in. I yeah. didn't realize they were at a hotel. So when that happened, I was so confused because I was like, "You, you're like it's Watergate." I'm like, "What? They're at like an office or like a." It's some sort of military pentagon or it something. Was, it was confusing. And you, I remember, like, first watching this episode when I was a kid. Like, I was aware... I wasn't aware exactly what Watergate was, other than it was a huge political scandal. And so when I remember seeing this episode when I f- first viewed it as a kid, I thought that they were saying that somehow Sam had accidentally caused I kind of the scandal that too for a by, by breaking it. Right. Right. Yeah, I no, I, I think I had that when I was younger, I think I had the same thought. I, 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 I understood sort of in an abstract of, of what Watergate was, but I, I, yes, I thought that, oh, Sam accidentally did this and that's, it left the door open so that the robbers could come in. But in reality, oh, the people playing, yeah. now we know that the door was already left open because they were and probably already in. in there, and then, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, hey, at this particular point in time, just imagine while Sam and Donna are up there getting ready to visit her father, Forrest Gump is across the street complaining <laughs> because the lights have been left on. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. Yes. yes. All, all the connections. Yeah. Uh, so now so now we find ourselves standing in front of Wojohowicz's door. Yes. Kind of sets up. She's standing in front, opens the door. Donna starts crying. This was a mistake. And he's like, no, the mistake was waiting 12 years. And yeah. Happens. Which is which I got to say is unfortunate in a way because it is a really cheesy line. Mm-hmm. That that's like what he says. Like, you know, it's... But, but still, I mean, we're towards the end of the episode. Yeah. We got, got to... We got to... Those wrap. dominoes have got to fall. We, we got to yeah. wrap this up. And so uh, Sam starts to leave somewhat more lonely and she runs off. And then they have this line of like, if only if I was a little bit younger you were a little bit older like this this cheesy romantic line i think he like he kisses her on the on the, on the nose. nose yeah yeah and he tells her that one day she will be older yes. you know and then he and then he leaves and you know he's all excited and uh yeah but before we do that let's talk about what kind of a bastard move is it to reunite donna with her dad the night before he ships out to vietnam yeah, yeah. well it definitely goes back to what, uh, what we were saying early uh, at the very beginning of the episode about Sam's selfishness. Mm-hmm. I think that he is being very selfish. It's understandable if you start thinking about it in this wide sort of ranging psychological way where he's out there traveling through time, setting right what once went wrong, and that you know, this is a reward. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, you had your reward last time when you got to call your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and this does feel very... Very single-minded, very one-track mind, but I think that it does kind of help to... And again, I, I I don't know that we necessarily see Sam do anything quite this selfish again. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers. Uh, th- there are times where he comes close, certainly, but mm-hmm. I, I would argue that maybe this softens a little bit as the show goes on. So again, it might play into what you were saying about not knowing who Sam was yet, the writers mm-hmm. not knowing uh, as much. Um but he, he is clearly, when he gets something in his mind that he's got to do, he just goes for it. Mm. Um, and I think with his intelligence that there's probably a certain expectation of being right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this Absolutely. is the, I, I feel this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. You mm-hmm. know, I'm going to step sure. into the quantum loop accelerator. I'm going to try to reunite myself with my lost love in the future by mm-hmm. fixing her up with her dad. Mm-hmm. 
and damn everything else. Yeah. So before we go to the home stretch, I think it's interesting to note that from a production standpoint, the producers went out of their way to find the actor who played Colonel Wojciechowicz. They found someone who reasonably could look like Donna's father. Mm-hmm. So someone who looked very similar to Terry, similar enough to Terry Hatcher. Yes. But also someone who was somewhat similar to Scott Bakula. Oh, interesting. So that the idea was like Terry Hatcher, Donna saw a little bit of her dad in yeah Scott Bakula, which brings up daddy issues yeah. in a whole yeah. other wow. weird little way. Well, and I think that we should mention uh, the actor that plays the the father is Michael Gregory, who is mm-hmm. somebody that I think is, is recognizable, in particular in the sci-fi genre, because he's you know he's in a couple of other you know, big films like Total Recall and RoboCop, and you know he plays a couple of, of, of mm-hmm. roles in other things. Uh, I think RoboCop he's probably a little bit more recognizable. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a, I've never seen RoboCop all the way through. Oh, okay, all right. I, Total I, Recall. You know, it's been a while. I think I think uh, I think yeah. RoboCop is, is is worth it, and mm-hmm. maybe I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But no, so, so anyway, so we head into the to the home stretch of Sam and the stairwell, like doing like a little like celebration, dancing around, and Al reveals to him that you know it's uh, at this point I think we're at June seventeenth, if, if I'm correct, June seventeenth, nineteen seventy two, Watergate, and we have this little comedic moment of Sam's like I don't remember and. Al's line of oh yeah my here's my Al line of the yeah, episode yeah the Republicans would love you, you yes <laughs> yeah uh, and and so Al reminds him that. She may end up marrying this other guy first. Yeah. And Sam's like, no, I'm confident. Like, I got connections. Yeah. Really kind of confident. And he he points upstairs, and it's interesting because it reinforces something that I think the next episode, which... We will you have feelings about, about and I do have feelings about, yeah. yeah. Um, it reinforces this idea that even though they keep saying things like God, time, fate, or whatever, although that's not been really said a lot, it's something that... It, it was some kind of a tagline. saying God, or time, or fate, or whatever has... And it eventually becomes yeah, a, a bit of a tagline of the, of the show, but at this point, there seems to be this sort of this reinforcement that whatever it is... It's the man upstairs, if you will, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, he's, I got connections. Um, then the other thing is, though, that is interesting about this um, that I think is worth discussing briefly is that he's done all this stuff with Donna. He's not yet leaped. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what ends up actually causing the leap is when Jamie Lee and Oscar, Oscar kiss. upstairs, they finally connect the kiss. Yes. And now Sam leaps. And now Sam leaps. Um, and I think that I will talk about this real briefly, and we'll talk about it more next episode, that he leaps into a boxing ring mm-hmm. in the middle of a fight, mm-hmm. and he gets punched right in the face. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that this was intentional, but it's the way my brain is going to read it. I think it's it's God time or fate's way of saying, like, you just messed with the plan, and I need you to wake up. That's interesting. You know, the idea that, like, mm-hmm. you're you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. um, or that I'm not ready for you to do, mm-hmm. that you're not as smart as you think you are, so here's a bit of a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Probably just completely arbitrary, especially knowing the way that the episodes were actually shot, mm-hmm. whatever. But, yeah, the, so that's his next leap. He's in the middle of a boxing ring, and he gets hit in the face. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's interesting. To to jump back on one thing to kind of wrap up like the scene that we keep coming back to mm-hmm. to uh, a little bit of of, of, of misogyny and, and over possessiveness on, on males on account of a woman. It's interesting that what 
and I didn't think about this until just now in this moment, that what locks in Oscar's and Jamie Lee's relationship is what is supposedly their first kiss. And I, I remember, like, when I was in my late teens in college, like, kind of being confronted with this idea by, by a girl that I was interested in, is, like, men have this idea in their heads that if I kiss it, it is mine. Well. And that, like, it's not, it's not like, you know, like, we know that they're going to get together because of this, because they found some kind of common ground. God, time or fate or whatever doesn't leap Sam out until they have their first kiss. And that kind of locks in that they are going to be together. I don't remember the moment well enough, to be honest with you, even though I just watched it less than a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's, it's a like mutual they, they, kiss, or is it him kissing her? No, no, it, it is a mutual, like, she is, like, she head, is like, like head yeah. on her chest. And it's, it's a really sweet moment where they look up and make eye contact. Yeah. It, is, it is a very consensual thing, like, they right. come in mm-hmm. together. Yeah. But it's, still, it's a thing of... It's it's the kiss that locks in the relationship. Like, oh, they're going to work out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that there's something to be said for just the conventions in, uh, of drama in general. Absolutely. And the idea yeah. that we, you know, sometimes we can't give you the full story. Sure. You know, again, it, it's like the famous, um, you know, there's the picture of a pipe. And you mm-hmm. ask the students, what is this? It's a pipe. No, it's a picture of a pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with the idea being that it's the same. Like, this is something that they teach film students, like, on day one, basically. It's that... That's what film is. Mm-hmm. Film is not the actual thing. It's a picture of the thing. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it has to be representative. Um, and so in this instance, you know, yeah, the, the convention is like a kiss is the representative of these two people getting together, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that everything's going to work out in the end. Absolutely. Um, which is interesting because uh, digression for a moment. Jessica and I watched Dirty Dancing last night. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, one of her favorite films. And as we're watching Dirty Dancing, she says this thing to me about how Baby and, and, and Johnny don't end up together. And I'm just like, she's like, what are you talking about they don't end up together? And she's like, well, it's just, it's a summer thing. It's, you know, they, they, they're together and this thing happens mm-hmm. and it's important to both of them, but then that's that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I have to be honest, like for me, the way that my brain, I guess, was conditioned when I was younger and came across this film in particular, it's just sort of like, oh, the film ends, they're together, like that's that, they're, they're, they're making babies in five years. He drives mm-hmm. off and leaves her there. I mean, not like leaves her, but he goes on to his next thing. It's clear that they're not together. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but, but I would argue it's not. It's not clear. And that's okay, because it's nice that we get to make up our own stories, which brings me something about, I want to say about this episode, about the cliffhanger nature of him leaping out. Mm-hmm. Because, and it plays into what you're talking about with Jamie Lee and Oscar, we don't know what happens with them necessarily. Mm-hmm. Specifically what I'm talking about, we don't know what happens with Donna. We don't know what happens with Donna. I found mm-hmm. that to be disgruntling as we moved forward. I mean, I think because the nature of the shows are very self-contained and you can kind of just keep going, you can pop in and out, but I did find myself, like, wanting to know what did happen and getting kind of the sense that maybe I wasn't going to find out at all or not for a very long time and, like, it wouldn't be something that would, like, linger with him necessarily. Like, he doesn't even seem to be thinking anymore about what happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe that plays a part of the whole Swiss cheese thing. Maybe he's kind of forgotten he did that, but... Yeah, I don't know. That was a little disappointing to not get, like, even Al, like, saying something about what happened, or... I mean, I'm not surprised, I guess, because I I imagine, I imagine there will be an episode about it in the future, but... 
Well, and, and without spoiling anything specific, one thing that I will bring up that I just that just popped into my head is that as the series progresses, and I don't feel like this is any sort of big spoiler, so I'm mm-hmm. just going to mention it. Oftentimes at the end of episodes, Al will actually tell Sam what happens after he leaps out. Mm -hmm. So in other words, when Sam gets ready to do the thing or he's done the thing and he's waiting to leap, Al's looking at the handset and saying like, oh, blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah happens. And they have three kids together and live happily ever after. And it puts that sort of button on the episode. We get wrapped up. But at this point in the series, we don't get that. And we'll talk about this more in the next two episodes. I really think at this early point in the series, they really didn't know what to do with Al. Mmm. Oh. Oh, yes. Next episode, we will definitely talk about this. Yes. So, anyway, <laughs> uh, wrapping up, wrapping up Starcrossed, I think uh, what I will say in closing is that for me, uh, the episode, it, it holds up, and one of the things that I will remark upon for this block of episodes coming up, and I'll go ahead and say it now, is that I was surprised with the pacing. The episodes feel to me paced in, in, in a very... Um, quick way. They, they like honestly, I don't know how it is for everyone else, but for me, they've kind of flown by. And the pilot doesn't. The pilot dawdles a little bit. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I don't know that I'll ever make up my mind about that. But this episode and the next few episodes, for me, as I was watching them, they really kind of fly by. Mm-hmm. You know, the scenes come and they're kind of short, and, and and then you get the next scene and on and on and on and on. And so, I, I for me, that's something that I've been enjoying about it. It's weird coming back to it after a time because I don't know whether I would say, as we're closing up this episode, that it still holds the same place in my heart and memory as it did before I rewatched it, mm-hmm. um, which is which is tough for me in a way because mm-hmm. I think that there was something about the romantic aspect of the episode and me identifying with Sam so much that I just saw this as like, oh yeah, he's got to do it, he's got to make way for this to happen in the future, and oh, it really tugs at my heartstrings, and and I you know and I get where he's coming from, and I understand it, and now I watch it, and there's something about it that as I'm watching it, it. it it feels, and not because of the nature of doing it for a podcast, but I felt a little more distance. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel quite as involved emotionally as I had been when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I still enjoyed it. Uh, it was hard for me, though, to completely be on board with everything Sam was doing. Yes, I would agree with that. That's my biggest problem with the, the episode, is, is being a much more informed adult as I was when I was... Yeah. Younger, all the issues that we talked about of of just not respecting a woman's wishes, um, those were certainly issues. Uh, obviously, uh, for me, which we talked about, it has a high watchability factor with me. Very simply, Terry Hatcher is a very attractive woman. She is. She is, and she is. She is very. Uh, yeah. Yes. Without a doubt. Without mm-hmm. a doubt. There's there's a comment that gets made actually in Beyond the Mirror Image. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, this was like one of the, the one of the first times in, in the filming of the episodes where Dean Stockwell was out of his trailer more often than what he needed yeah. to be, and, and specifically just to be around Terry Hatcher. Um, and it's interesting for for a long time because this was my introduction to Terry Hatcher in, in anything when I was a kid, and for a long time I thought of her as the actress that was Nana. And uh, I think now looking back, I would. Uh, I would identify her most with her character from Desperate Housewives. Yeah. Which I will admit, I was really into for the first couple of seasons. Uh, If you've never seen it, Desperate Housewives, just the first season, is a very nice 
self-contained story. Yeah. Like at, the, at the start of the season, they tell you exactly what the story is going to be about. At the end of the season, they wrap up that story. And if all you ever watch is that one season, yeah, it's it's a it's a very self-contained story. Yeah, no, and I I, I I agree with that first of all because I think that the interesting thing about that first season uh, when I was in college when it came on and it was uh, it was paired with something else uh, and I and now I'm now I'm blanking on it. There was something that was on before it. I don't remember. It wasn't I Lost. Like, I feel was like it? It was, no, I feel like it was paired up with Grey's Anatomy for a while. Boston yeah. Legal for a while. Yeah, Boston Legal and then Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. You're yeah. right. Um, and, and I watched both of those shows. I love Boston Legal, actually. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah, the, the the first season, one of the things that I think it does really well, though, is that it, it explores these characters and these women, and it makes kind of a social commentary that I, that as the show went on, it became more and more outrageous and, and so soap operatic Mm -hmm. and as it did that I I certainly lost a connection to it and I didn't watch it religiously by any means but I certainly caught enough of the first season to know what you're talking about yeah she you know she had an interesting career and I think that out of you know everyone that we've seen we're only two episodes in but she's certainly the the biggest star if you will so far and I would argue probably even within the first season um of all the guest stars that we get uh, I don't think she had done anything of note then, but as far as like, no, 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 no. like actually well, go on to do other things. She had an extended run yeah. on Love Boat, actually, of all things. I don't I only know that from IMDB. I, um, I can sing you the theme song, but that's <laughs> but that's about it. But yeah, the next big thing really that she would do would be Lois and Clark. Mm-hmm. Um and uh which you know, if you're, if you're a fan of Superman, I definitely suggest checking it out. I do, you're, Again, your mileage will vary, mm-hmm. uh, especially as the series goes on. But that first sure. season is, is pretty solid. For sure. So, Jessica, your summation of Star-Crossed? Uh, yeah, I didn't connect so much with the romance of the story, I don't think. Um, I did like getting some tidbits about his personal life. I mean, I guess we get that with his dad, but... Um... Yeah, I thought it it was it didn't linger with me. Like I kind of almost had a hard time remembering this episode as we were talking about it. I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So Because you've taken somewhat of a crash course in, in quantum leap in the last Yeah, I think we've seen I think I've now seen three more past this one. Yes. So there are others that stuck out to me more, not necessarily in a good way. Yeah. And uh well, this one felt just Mediocre, I guess. You said something interesting that I wrote down as we were watching the episode, actually. You asked me, uh, wouldn't Donna remember the conversations that she was having? Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think this kind of goes to stuff we've talked about before, but, you know, you would think that she would have remembered in the future her conversations with this weirdo guy in, like, the one week when he was, like, kind of normal and romantic in the future. I guess... I don't remember exactly what I was thinking about when I said that, but I think it goes back to clearly in this show, stuff happened and now it's being changed mm-hmm. versus this stuff had, he had gone back in the past. He had always gone back. Yeah. Things yeah I would say, and I've never, really, I've never really thought about this, but if you believe that some higher power is in charge of these leaps and maybe that higher power is Swiss cheesing Sam's memory, mm-hmm. that same higher power Swiss cheeses people's memory Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they don't quite remember. That's a little fuzzy. Right. So they don't quite remember these things. It's the same reason why uh, Lorraine Bates McFly doesn't remember that weird week out of her life when Calvin Klein right. just We're... totally overtook everything. Sure. Uh, it's Back to the Future reference. I wasn't allowed to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> There's bad words. There, yeah. yeah. 
Just just missed out on some movies when she was younger. Little mm-hmm. Rascals, we got banned from watching that one because they say butthead. Yes, but why were you banned from watching it? Because we, we kept calling each other butthead. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, and for you saying butthead so many mm-hmm. times. You didn't get to see Titanic until you Oh, were, yeah, that, I protested that one for a long time because I wasn't allowed to watch Titanic because of the bad language. And my sister got to watch it at an age that was younger than when I wasn't allowed to watch it. And I was in a Girl Scout sleepaway, and I made myself go into the other room because I knew I wasn't allowed to watch it. And I was a nerd, so... I love you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, you know, I I think in in, in wrapping this one up um, that there are a lot of what-ifs that get left at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about with... You know, what if Donna remembered some of this stuff? What if she remembers sort of this man that Dr. Bryant was, and when she gets back to Lawrence, she's just sort of like, hey, mm-hmm. Dr. Bryant, like, oh, you know, that's what I thought like palling too. around. Like, I thought maybe he was going to stick around and make Dr. Bryant be the first guy that she was engaged to, and then, like, <laughs> break it off, so knowing then the next one would be him. Oh. And then, you know, You're again... a real bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, they do have that moment where, you know, she's like, oh, if I was a little older, and, you know, oh, if I was a little younger, you know, and they have that moment that, so I think they do establish well enough that they're not going... There's there's no danger of... of you know, mm-hmm. Donna and Jared right. Bryant getting yeah. together. But also, that, now right. you just thought about it, now the real Dr. Bryant yeah. Yeah. has to drive back to Ohio yeah. with Donna. <laughs> Which, I think that one of the things <laughs> that we kind of theorized and, and, has, and you know, has been posted before on many message boards and, you know, Reddits and such is that, uh, that when the person leaps back into their regular life, that they get a little bit you know, in the same way that Sam sometimes gets a little bit of them, they get a little bit of Sam. So they, they kind of know a little bit get about what's happening. Or, situation. you know, or Al's debriefing them maybe in the waiting room. You know, hey, just be aware that this is going to be changed or something like that. Because you'd think the professor would come back and then try to sabotage, you know, his girlfriend. Sure. His previous girlfriend and her new boyfriend now. you think he would be trying to sabotage us on the ride back to Ohio because... Right. Last he knew, he was having kinky sex with this girl. With Jamie Lee. Yeah, yeah. so why wouldn't he want that to continue? Yeah. I, so, yeah, those what-ifs are interesting to For me. Sure. They but it's the family nature. Uh, I, I would say if you if you really want to dive delve, delve deep into into those kind of story elements with time travel, uh, movies like The Butterfly Effect. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic sure. Because mm-hmm. they really get into that right. yeah. uh, which I know Butterfly Effect gets made fun of a lot simply for the fact of Ashton Kutcher right. I, I will argue that that is a fantastic time travel movie yeah actually I, anyway. I saw it once when I was like 19 but mm-hmm. so there you have it there is Star Crossed uh, which is the you know first episode proper of Quantum Leap mm-hmm. um, you know we're now technically in the first season we're past the pilot uh, interesting for the you know, selection for that first episode, especially knowing that it wasn't the one shot to be the first episode. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that one later. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, we are we are out of here and on to the next leap, which will be the right hand of God. So join us next time for that one. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time.
Time. 